where lies the strangling fruit that came from the hand of the sinner I shall bring forth the seeds of the dead to share with the worms that gather in the darkness and surround the world with the power of their lives. So no matter what I do, hooray for me because I'm a great guy, it's all good. No matter how many dogs I kill, I just want to do an inventory and accept. I mean, you back your truck over your own kid and you like accept? What a load of crap. Hey, Jesse, I know you're in pain. No, you, you know what? Why I'm here in the first place is to sell you meth. You're nothing to me but customers. I made you my bitch. You hear that? Uh, you accept? Now she took up with that Ledoux fella. That Ledoux family, they still live around here? So you, you got a full name on that Ledoux boy? Reggie? Reggie Ledoux? Reggie Ledoux skipped parole. Ledoux did two years in a war with this. I where was Ledoux. I need an all-state APB on one Reginald Ledoux. Reggie Ledoux. You had Reggie Ledoux to be corrupt. What about Reggie? Ledoux did this? Reggie Ledoux. Reggie motherfucking Ledoux did this? Ledoux knew about her. Tell me about Ledoux. So you got a tip when Ledoux cooked, so Cole came back from the back of the house when Ledoux fired that truck. But he sneaks up behind Ledoux. And just as Ledoux turns, Reggie Ledoux deserved I don't know, maybe the Ledoux boys knew you. And finally, we arrive at Reginald Ledoux. Before the beginning, after the great war between heaven and hell, God created the earth gave dominion over it to the crafty ape he called man. To each generation was born a creature of light and a creature of darkness. And great armies clashed by night in the ancient war between good and evil. There was magic then, nobility, and unimaginable cruelty. So it was, until the day that a false sun exploded over Trinity, and man forever traded away wonder for reason. intellectual to understand what exactly is going on in all of these so-called contemporary art galleries. A neon light pointed at a rubber plant? 
a big car that's made of cheese and it is mean to me? Blue paint on a bag of heroin. And I'm supposed to be impressed? Last week, I went to a gallery that had an upside-down semi-truck in it and the trailer of the truck was entirely empty except for one orange with a pencil sticking out of it and the truck radio was playing the trance remix of that better than Ezra song called Good from the 90s. You've got to be kidding me. The gallery attendant walks up to me and says, isn't this just sublime? So I said, I'm sorry, no. Sublime would have never incorporated trance into their music. Hip-hop, sure. Reggae, yes. Even some ska. But you wouldn't catch Lou Dog inside the van listening to trance music. Take your raggedy ass back to Berlin. That's exactly what I said. The attendant was floored. Welcome back to another episode of the Humor and the Abject Podcast, you Reginald Ledoux hunting screedlers. This is Stefan Lee, your faithful studio manager. Bruppeting wah. Bruppeting wah. When God made man he gave him free choice. Blah 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 blah. Maybe God should have given man a set of drafting skills so that I could look at one of his drawings and not have to ask myself if it was supposed to be made by some screedler hanging off the side of a boat, drunk on his own urine and pride. This week on the podcast, we've got artist, stand-up comedian, and occasional curator Jennifer Sullivan as our guest. What a treat for you, my tiny creamy dumpling muffins. Strap yourself into your seat for a soothing hour of heady conversation and plenty of giggles. I love you. So much. So much that I cannot articulate it. Anyways, let's turn it over to your host, Sean J. Patrick Carney. I'm Ira Glass. Welcome to Jackass. It's episode 41 of the Humor in the Abject podcast. I'm your host, Sean J. Patrick Carney. Uh, and you might be able to hear that the fucking heater at my house has turned on again. Uh, this has become sort of like a reoccurring, recurring, reoccurring problem uh, here in the here in the kitchen studio where the pre-war heaters or whatever they are at my house turns on, turn on and hiss hiss wildly. Uh, Everybody will tell you that these were from before the Spanish influenza had subsided, and so the idea is that they get so hot that you can have your windows wide open for airflow, get that Spanish flu out of your house, and uh, still have the heat on. And while that's a nice idea in theory, it becomes a little bit insane in practice in one's everyday life. We have two humidifiers, Claire and I do, at our place that you know, keep me from uh, having my lips crack open in the middle of the night, but it is still very dry in here. But anyways, uh, you know, welcome again to uh, second week of February. We're, we're right here. We're right here in February, moving forward in 2018. And if you haven't had a chance yet, please pick up the February issue of Art in America or go look at the website. I wrote a feature in it that's called The Practical Precariat. A feature, dear listeners, is a long piece, so I don't know, it's like 2,000 words or something. It's a lot of words. And uh, in the in the piece, I talk a little bit about how this kind of group of artists who are, I guess, cuspers, you know, kind of between Gen X and Millennial, uh, who in the face of dwindling support from institutions and an increasing kind of focus on the gig economy in 
the contemporary art world have turned to uh, developing communities and ad hoc institutions in the place of these uh, organizations that no longer are kind of providing support for their work. And that article includes some people that I just love, uh, like Jamie Warren, the performance artist here in New York City, who you probably know from whoop de doo which he started in Kansas City. Uh, a dancer, filmmaker, punk musician, zinester, author from the Bay Area named Brontez Purnell, whose work is incredible. Please check Brontez out. Uh, Miami-based filmmaker and co-founder of the Borscht Corps, Jillian Mayer, who's also a fantastic contemporary artist uh, who, you know, one day will be a friend of the pod. I guarantee it. And lastly, the comedian Chris Gethard, uh, who despite maybe not being a capital A artist in, in that sense, has a really similar trajectory in terms of his career in this like community building going from uh, uh, the Manhattan Neighborhood Network, uh, public access television, into a, a career on you know cable TV. Also, uh, you know, friend of the pod, Anna Fabrega, is one of the writers on the Chris Gethard Show, so please check that out. Uh, also on Monday, February 12th, Art in America is going to be hosting a panel at the Noya House, I think is how you say it, N-E-U-E House, Noya House, is that it? Yes, Noya House, Uh, and I'm going to be, I think, facilitating the panel. It's going to have Patton Hindle, who works at Kickstarter uh, in the art department. Patton is also a gallerist and wonderful person. Uh, Patton's going to be there. Jamie Warren is going to be on the panel. And uh, Chris Udameze from House of Ladosha is also going to be joining us to talk about some of the topics from that article. That is free and open to the public. I'll be tweeting about that. But please come out on the 12th so that we feel very loved and supported. Uh, Another upcoming thing uh, recently, Interstate Projects just closed. Uh, Well, closing today. I don't know if you're listening to this today, the day that I'm putting it out. Uh, Mike Welsh's show is open today, Sunday, February 4th, or whatever day it is today. Um, Go check out Mike's show. You have a few hours left. Uh, If you have missed that, the next show that's coming up, opening on February 16th, is going to be a banger of a group show. I'm very excited for it. It is curated by Jonah Porter, who's their curatorial fellow. It's the first of four shows that Jonah is putting together. And Jonah and I go way back to Portland, Oregon. We're both PNCA people. Um, I love that boy, and I'm really excited for the programs that he's putting together. And this first group show is going to be super cool. And guess who is in it all the way from Erie, Pennsylvania, the Midwest micro-celebrity J. That's right, Thomas J. Gamble, the author of the Infinite Hesh comics for Humor and the Abject, uh, one of my favorite dudes in the world he's in that group show he's also going to be coming by for a podcast episode while he's in town so you'll get to know twee j a little bit better um Cudellis brazelton is also in that show uh cj so twee j and cj in one show Cudellis, uh great artist also santiago leba uh and jen Shear, who anybody who's friends with me might remember jen Shear from some of the new world unlimited sci-fi zines that we did jen did some awesome uh, pieces in those and also contributed to a show that we did at shoot the lobster a little while ago so please go on february 16th and check out this group show that jonah put together and you can meet the man himself thomas twee j gamble uh please come out Um, My guest this week is Jennifer Sullivan, who is an incredible performance artist, stand-up comedian, studio artist, occasional curator. Uh, The first time I saw Jen, which we talk a little bit about on the episode, was at Essex Flowers at a performance where she was channeling 
the late great no he's not dead uh the <laughs> he's channeling julian schnabel and um didn't change her voice whatsoever uh but wore uh, silk pajamas with a big fake tummy and was just smashing plates and marching around and talking about being Julian Schnabel it was one of the funniest things I've ever fucking seen and uh, since then I've seen a bunch of stuff that Jen has been part of she and I were both in Brian Balot's show People Pie Pool uh, at Abrams Art Center for Performa that was super fun so I got to perform with Jen recently which was a real treat she also curated this great show at Safe Gallery this past summer called Cosmic Joke that was about basically all the stuff that i'm interested in with human the abject so uh thanks for tuning in again this week thanks to everybody who's out there supporting humor in the abject on drip uh, i really appreciate you and you know you make this a little bit easier to get the equipment and stuff like that that i need so um shout out to all of y'all and without further ado here is my conversation with jennifer sullivan Uh, Jennifer Sullivan, welcome to Human the Abject. How are you this week? Hi, Sean. I'm I'm quite well, thank you. It's very early in the week. I know that mm-hmm. it is Monday. I know it just started. How do you feel about everybody saying that January has been too long? Um, I have not heard that, and maybe it's <laughs> um because I'm I'm kind of trying to stay chill about instagram so i don't know if that's where i'm missing mm. out on these kind of things but um why, why are you trying to stay chill on instagram <laughs> like in your posts or in your engagement in my engagement i feel that i've had an addictive relationship to it mm-hmm. and so i like post if i do post something i'll like take it off my phone so that i'm just like not obsessing with it yeah yeah are you obsessively looking at other people's content or or getting the feedback or the likes on your own likes. yeah <laughs> yeah i have a certain anxiety when i post something and then i'm kind of looking and i'm like why isn't my phone blowing up and yeah then if it is then i'm really i feel uh i also have a very addictive personality with that it, mm-hmm. it brings me a lot of joy when it gets when i'm getting a lot of attention and I people know. Are liking it that's what performance art is all about okay that's true yeah we can we can cover that today for sure um well um so you are a visual artist performance artist comedian occasional curator all Mm -hmm. these kinds of things so i want to get to some of that stuff today but first i wanted to ask um where did you grow up um i grew up in upstate new york in a town called skodak Skodak? Skodak. How's that spelled? Um, S-C-H-O-A-D-A-C-K. Sometimes satirized as Skrodak. It's near Albany, New York. It's just like a small town a little bit north of there. Cool. When did you come to New York City? I moved here in 1995 um, to go to Pratt, but also my parents grew up in Brooklyn, so I was always coming here and like fantasizing about being a New York bohemian artist. That's cool. Were your parents <laughs> artists? Um, no, not really. I would say I would say they both influenced me in becoming an artist. Like my mom was dabbled in it and like wrote poetry, and my dad is like a kind of He's a computer programmer, but he's pretty 
funny and creative and stuff. That's cool. Did they do the kind of, were they like a young couple who moved out of the city and moved upstate? Yeah, basically. Yeah, I feel like I have a lot of friends who are at that stage right now. Mm -hmm. Constantly talking about how they're going to move upstate. (laughs) Yeah, but they weren't like, yeah, they weren't bohemians at all. They were kind of (laughs) nerds. Did uh, you went to, um, I'm guessing you were studying art at Pratt. Mm -hmm. There's also architecture and stuff. But what did you go to school for? My undergrad degree is in sculpture, Okay, but I was like, I feel like at the time sculpture kind of, I chose it eventually because it encompassed like performance and things like that. Yeah. And I think now they have, now there are departments that are sort of like new genres or or intermediate or Mm -hmm. things like that. And I, yeah, I guess sculpture before would have been like a catch-all where you could get away with trying a lot of different things. Mm -hmm. If one could argue that it was a sculpture. Yeah, I was like, yeah, I would make a weird sculpture that I would like insert myself into or something like that. Is that where you started getting into performance then was in school? Yeah, I mean, I don't really stand by any of the performances I I did at that time. I wouldn't ask anyone to necessarily (laughs) stand by the performances they made in school. But yeah, I was definitely, I took a performance art class in undergrad too and, and just like learning about like people like Karen Finley and um, like teaching Hisai and all that stuff just like blew my mind kind of. Yeah, yeah. That's cool. Did you have any teachers at Pratt who um, you're still friendly with? Um, I'm not really friendly per se, but like this woman, Ann Mesner, left a big impression on me. She was like a big feminist sculptor and was very like angry and like intense and I liked her a lot. That's pretty cool. Did Pratt have cats on campus at that time yeah yeah they still i went there to i did a visit with a a sculpture group Mm -hmm. um a little while ago and there were cats everywhere yeah they were the pratt cats Mm -hmm. they just run around the campus it's pretty cool i wasn't as into cats as i am now at Mm. that time but it was pretty novel and they have a cool thing with all they have all that steam pipes and stuff um steampunk kind of um what (laughs) they have this whole steampunk setup for new year's where you can like they like bring out these long pipes and like steam comes out of them and like has a steampunk new year's party (laughs) yeah basically it's not really steampunk but the aesthetic (laughs) is totally steampunk (laughs) and it's just like whistles and stuff and steam i don't really know what they do but there's all that old-timey machinery and it's like a thing you can do on new year's whoa i had no idea yeah it's fun um (laughs) were you when you were a student at pratt were you incorporating comedic kind of stuff into your work or did that come later hmm that's a good question um i would say i was always into humor but Maybe it wasn't really that funny at that point. Like, maybe I feel like I liked the idea of humor and the abject, certainly. Like, Mike Kelly also is another person who I was like, whoa. Like, yeah, yeah. But I don't think, I think I was more kind of serious and like tortured at the time. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> did you feel like you didn't, um, did it seem like weird territory to wade into to try to inject that into stuff? I mean, I'm speaking simply kind of anecdotally about my own experience, but I remember it seemed like a hurdle to try to get to marry those two worlds together to bring the humor in. And also I felt that oftentimes people, especially in a school setting or like a critique, it 
it came across as that you were kind of making fun of the whole experience if you were doing something funny, even though that wasn't, you know, the intention. Yeah, actually, that reminds me of a thing where I had this um, sculpture class and we had to, like, make something out of this thin sheet metal. And I just, like, did not want to make anything out of sheet metal. And I thought it was dumb. And I, like, (laughs) so it was, like, rolled up and I just, like, I, like, wrapped it like a present and, like, that was my sculpture. Like I gave it to the class or mm-hmm. whatever. And I also did a thing where I brought the class to my messy apartment as like a piece or whatever. You know, not like rocket science, like new stuff, but I, there was something humorous about that kind yeah. of. But my teacher got really mad about this sheet metal thing. I think. Why? He just thought I was being a dick, but I <laughs> felt like I was sincere in like. I don't know. I felt like sincere about it, kind of. Yeah, yeah. No, I think about that a lot. About being, uh, I think about being very serious about being silly. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah, like and, I wasn't just trying to be a jerk. Right. At all. Well, no, and it takes a certain, um, you know, it's also uh, risky to bring something like that in, especially in a school setting. Mm-hmm. So there is a sincerity to it, just in that you're making yourself pretty vulnerable, yeah. especially if you're kind of depending on people to. I think the joke is funny Mm -hmm. because if they don't, then it totally falls. Like it's worse than making a piece that people are just like, I don't understand this. It's like if it's meant to be funny and then it's not, Mm -hmm. it's a double devastation for the maker. (laughs) I feel like. (laughs) I feel like that awkward terrain is like my bread and butter. (laughs) Kind of messy area right in there. (laughs) That's good. I think, well, so, but you do, um, you do pretty, uh, straightforward comedy too mm-hmm. and uh can you tell me about the ridgewood queens of comedy what is the ridgewood queens of comedy if anybody's um, listening that was just that was a night that was the first night i hosted and kind of organized at this space in ridgewood called the funny hole <laughs> which is um <laughs> it's, it's a, a good name yeah it's a great name a great club it's kind of a it's like a occasional club that is in my friends Andrea Burgart and um, Joe Balweg's basement. Oh, I met them at Safe Gallery. Yeah. Which we'll talk about that in a little bit, but I met them. They were sitting your show. Yeah. That you put together. Yeah. yeah. Very sweet. And cool. Joe was one of the first people I met in Ridgewood. And um, yeah, they just approached me with um, like, yeah, hosting a comedy night. Like it was totally their idea because they have this little basement that's kind of feels like a speakeasy or something. Yeah. And um, so the first, they had done one, and this guy, I was like, eh, I'm too busy, I can't do it right now. But I went to the one, first one, and this guy, Mac, Max Hygis, um, hosted that one. And it was all men, comedians, so I was kind of like, you know what, let me host this and make it like a female comedy night. Yeah. And it was really fun. Who were some of the people that you brought on? Um, Erica Magri, um, Sophia Peer, Allison Brainer. Yeah, I remember... Allison was doing that. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. And um Amy Koshpin, I believe, was also part of that. Or maybe she was only at a later one. But um yeah. It was really fun and great and it has a very warm vibe and it was really fun. Yeah, it's like a house show, right? Yeah. Well, yeah, that's very <laughs> fun. Um what were you what type of stuff were you consuming when you were growing up, like in terms of media that made you kinda of think, Oh, like jokes are kind of my thing. Or being funny is kind of my thing. Because I'm always interested in people's answers because sometimes it's totally not what I expect. And then sometimes I'm like, yes, I watch the same thing. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, definitely SNL and SCTV 
And then, like, my dad was watching, like, Benny Hill and Monty Python with me. So all of that was very influential. Yeah. I used to stay, I used to get to stay up to watch SNL when I was a little kid. Mm -hmm. I could stay up on Saturday nights and watch that. Yeah. Which was pretty cool. I feel like I was, maybe it was a Nickelodeon or Nick at Night thing, too. But I feel like I saw the, the, like, older ones, too. Like, my dad was always, like referencing like the 70s snl and maybe i watched it in some context with him yeah i had a vhs tape of like the i think it was like the best of the first five years or Mm -hmm. something and it had you know just like i think it had just these wild uh like old steve martin bits and stuff like that and um i I don't even think he wasn't even I don't think he was a cast member. He was just on it all the time. Mm-hmm. He was just like a guest constantly or something. But all these very funny things that were also like a bit over my head yeah. uh, as a kid. I just didn't understand them. <laughs> the points of reference were not only like too adult, but also uh, 20 years prior of yeah. cultural references. But I still really liked the architecture of it. And I liked the idea of adults playing. I thought yeah. that was really fun. I feel like my dad would like say some of the catchphrases of like, like the land shark one and stuff like that mm-hmm. or the wild and crazy guys yeah <laughs> yeah my dad liked mr bill oh you know yeah him, the little clay guy yeah yeah yeah. he always screamed oh no mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um and when you do when you do your comedy and and you're doing what you know is like stand-up you're doing a pretty traditional approach to stand-up which I'm interested in because, you know, the the go-to for a lot of artists who are like, oh, I also incorporate comedy in my work is that the they might go up doing sort of stand-up, but it's a meta approach or it's kind of this or that. And yours has a very different take where you're very much like following in the footsteps of that tradition. And I'm wondering whether that's something that comes natural for you or if you kind of feel like you're trying on a persona when you go up. Um, I think it's a little of both in a way. Like my... Pretty much, I've used my voice and my art for, like, basically since I started making video, I would usually have some kind of voiceover or something. So, yeah, like this, I, and it would always be having some sense of humor, but also being very autobiographical. So the idea of just, like, talking about my life and, like, utilizing the fact that I have a kind of a weird voice, like which people often have made me aware of. I mean, I think it's gotten less weird, but <laughs> <laughs> like it used to be even higher. And, um, and but I mean, I, I loved comedy and I feel like my, my comic persona is kind of like a satire of myself, basically, mm-hmm. which I don't feel like was premeditated. It's just like kind of what comes out is like kind of, pretending to be myself but a little bit more ditzy and a little bit more dumb or something like that i think about i think about that a lot too about trying to do an impression of yourself yeah because i have a lot of friends that i feel like i can do okay impressions of them just their mannerisms and things like that and then i try to think of how would i make fun of myself Mm -hmm. and um I feel like I'm too, I I get into an existential spiral trying to figure out like what are the things about me that I would exaggerate or amplify yeah so that's a, that seems like an interesting challenge to go up and be doing that. Yeah. Like, I think I was doing that kind of like I've tried on many different performance performance styles, but it would usually be somewhat that was kind of the zone I would fall into this kind of like um, up speak and like slow kind of um, like drawing things out a bit 
but um, essentially kind of what I'm actually like. Yeah, like, a, <laughs> like an amplification of yeah, yourself. Exactly. And I feel like that's a lot of... Uh, a lot of people that I really like, they kind of go up and they know themselves enough to just kind of be yeah. like themselves times two. Mm-hmm. Um, so it still feels honest, but yeah. it's also like, you know, they're really putting like yeah. all their gusto into it. Um, but the first time I think I saw you perform, you were doing a character. Mm-hmm. And I'm almost positive the first time that I saw you perform, and it was at the old Essex Flowers. Um, and I had, uh, I had been working with him, but I wasn't any longer. But I went to this. They had some performances there. And it was in the space that used to be on Grand Street when it was properly um, in the basement of the flower shop, Essex mm-hmm. Flowers. And you were doing a performance as Julian Schnabel. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and I didn't know anything about it before I went. And I think I showed up. I mean, I only showed up like maybe five minutes late, but it had already begun. Mm-hmm. And it was packed. And I kind of squeezed in and I sat down and you were wearing... I and mean, correct me if I'm wrong here. Um, you were wearing like his sort of pajama outfit that yeah. he wears in public um, <laughs> with a big belly stuffed into it. And you were just smashing plates everywhere like yeah. you were making one of his paintings or something. Um, <laughs> what uh, could you remind me a little bit of what else was going on in that piece and what prompted you to? I mean, I could think of a million reasons to impersonate Julian Schnabel. It's a pretty funny thing to do. But Yeah, well, I think Julian Schnabel... Yeah, if my self is the is the one base character, like Julian Stumble is kind of the opposite of that. Like he's kind of the outsized ego and male privilege that I feel like I've never felt and I wanted to like try that on and also I guess skewer it. Uh, but um but I did make a decision not to change my voice or try to do a male voice, so it's like my I, little I mean that was <laughs> That was one of the things that stuck with me was you were just speaking in your regular speaking voice, but you were saying all of these things as if you were Julian Schnabel. Yeah. And I can't remember exactly what they were, but the the double punch of that was pretty... <laughs> <laughs> just, yeah, like I was saying, I was just being very arrogant and like kind of making like that I'm rich and I kind of like don't give a fuck and stuff. And um, Did you read a bad review of his... Or, some, or a review that somebody had written of his or something like that, of his work that you were, like, upset about. I feel like I remember that being part of it. Oh, I don't remember now all of what I said. The, like, the premise of the show <laughs> was... it was, like, four years ago now. Yeah. It was long. It was, like, an evening. <laughs> <laughs> an evening with Julian Schnabel. <laughs> it was supposed to be a confidence-building seminar slash pajama party <laughs> okay wait led by led by julian yeah. schnabel so mm-hmm. kind of like he's the he's like a tony robbins but yeah. for artists where they can come and get their kind of like yeah. you want to hear from the master mm-hmm. <laughs> i didn't remember that that's cool <laughs> and i encourage people to wear their pajamas too but i don't think i think maybe one person did <laughs> <laughs> that's almost better yeah yeah that one person had a really intense experience that night mm-hmm. i'm sure and then you were just i mean um I imagine most people, if they if they go to the trouble uh, of listening to this thing that they already know about Julian Schnabel, but the smash plates paintings is sort of, you know, one of his calling cards. And mm-hmm. you were just shattering plates inside this small <laughs> basement yeah. gallery. <laughs> it was pretty edgy. <laughs> <laughs> is that edgier than usually what you strive for? Um, That's, I mean, I think, I don't know if that's more edgy. It's more violent and <laughs> more aggro like i think i've been trying i've been trying to get in touch with my anger more recently (laughs) and that was maybe a good vehicle for that but i feel like i'm also kind of becoming like prop comic a little bit is there do you (laughs) do you uh think of prop comic as a 
as connoting something negative? No, I mean, I think popularly it does, yeah. but I'm, I kind of say it as a joke a little bit, but no, I don't know. Maybe it's more, it links it back to art a little more because it is true. I feel like I'm just really trying to do stand up, but in an art context, like. And what's valuable about that for you? Because I feel like a lot of people do that, but what is, I mean, there's the obvious um, part of it, I think, which is that uh, it's a little bit easier to surprise an art audience because they're not they're mm-hmm. there with different expectations if they're coming for a performance night or something like that. And then it turns out somebody's like, oh, this person's entertaining me. Yeah. Like there's that, which is fun, like that mm-hmm. little pull the rug out and people get into it and you like pleasantly surprise a group of people. But what else about situating comedy in the art conversation is interesting to you? Because I mean, I have a million thoughts about obviously yeah. it's like all I spend my time <laughs> thinking about, but I'm curious why why you like to bring it there well i do think i don't agree with a a kind of vibe of performance art being like boring or like torturing people (laughs) i don't agree with it but i think it's (laughs) sometimes stereotypes exist for a reason yeah (laughs) i mean yeah it's and maybe that's not the maybe that's not the objective but i feel like i've sat through so much performance art that i find like really hard to Mm. be with (laughs) (laughs) or or that you're held i think a lot about and i'll say this so you don't have to but Mm -hmm. i feel like a lot of it um it is self-serving for some of the artists in a way that is a little bit frustrating because it kind of holds you captive yeah and that and um for me something that's interesting about comedy is like i don't i don't love the idea of like oh well you can heckle the performer or something but what i do like is that it the the fourth walls much more removed and mm-hmm. also that it's it's just a different and more casual atmosphere where if somebody has to get up to go to the bathroom it's like totally fine they yeah. can just, or if they need to bounce they can bounce mm-hmm. or if they're not into it they can just leave yeah but i feel very much during like a serious performance piece that if i left i i look like a dilettante and also like i'm like being blatantly disrespectful even though it might be like oh shit you did not advertise that this was going to be 47 minutes like and, yeah and you're between me and the door <laughs> i know <laughs> i mean i think it yeah like what you're saying kind of makes me think of just yeah i think so much performance art not to like shit on all performance art but no, I, it love great it. Perform- I love yeah. it i do it i love it and there are people who do it amazingly but, but- there's a lot that's really precious about itself uh-huh. and just doesn't feel i just don't relate to it and i feel like yeah comedy for me is like more in touch with how life actually is and like just it's very direct and i feel like often just logistically a lot of times people don't give you a lot of lead time for performance so like doing stand-up is pretty like low-key yeah yeah and you don't have to rely on somebody to like run your tech or do these other things you just kind of bring yourself and do the thing yeah and i wonder too are you um where do you kind of it sounds like i can infer the answer just by the way that you're talking but in terms of art versus entertainment and are, are those just kind of distinctions that you don't care about like you are okay with because I just remember like being told, you know, just in school, people would say, you know, art isn't about entertainment. It's yeah. not It's not meant to be entertainment. That's low culture. That's mass culture. Like the idea is to challenge and provoke in these things. And I was always like, they don't have to be mutually exclusive whatsoever. Yeah, no, I don't see them as being mutually exclusive at all. And in fact, I think 
it, entertainment value is helpful to engage someone that they're going to want to stick with whatever you're saying. Yeah. I love being entertained yeah. at a performance art night. It's like my favorite thing in the world. Yeah, me too. I'm <laughs> thrilled to go to performances that are entertaining. <laughs> yeah. Even and it doesn't have to be funny. I just mean things that kind of bring in, um, I guess to go kind of back to what you're saying a little bit ago that there's, I can't remember the word that you used, but it was sort of linked to this idea of accessibility or people feeling like they can get into it or yeah. connect with it. and. I mean, I'm just as happy to see somebody who's being very serious, but it like has some relationship to dance or music or something else that I recognize that mm -hmm. I can kind of like grab onto or kind of see um, the risks they're taking or the skills that they're bringing into it um, mm -hmm. instead of something totally abstract, which yeah. also can be fun if done really well. But, sure. but it's like, yeah, I, I just feel like the, I mean, and it's probably a little, it's kind of an archaic uh, thing to even ask about right now, I think, if art can be entertaining. But there's still some, you know, stodgy, maybe like older artists who are very upset by the concept of somebody being entertaining. It yeah. seems to sort of like be an affront to their. Well, I still think, I do think, just go to go back in a way, like when we we're talking about early stuff of my work, like I do feel like there was a lot of, um, like, yeah, like, I remember I thought the worst compliment, the worst, like, backhanded compliment someone could say is, like, your work's really fun, and <sighs> I would get really angry about it, like, and I think it was, yeah, if there was humor in it, like, it was seen as just being kind of, like, fun and cute and stuff, and, I mean, I definitely have toyed with that idea also, and my persona can be on the cute like i feel like cuteness is something i've grappled with mm -hmm. but that to me is the ultimate like put down or something yeah. <laughs> i've heard the flip though from um people who have come from pretty standard comedy stuff is that uh, i think they get pretty irritated when somebody's like your comedy's like performance art Oh. Because they're just like, fuck you. No, it isn't. It's, <laughs> it's funny. It's funny. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like almost like the inverse of that. Yeah. But can be, and I'm sure the speaker who's saying that means nothing, but like actually is probably paying a compliment in their mind. Yeah. But yeah, that can be if somebody's like, your stuff's really fun. And it's just like, it's critical. I have a degree. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, I think when I do stand up, I definitely intend to be funny and i don't want it to be just like a meta thing or whatever like right or just something that's about like isn't it funny that i'm not being funny yeah i think i definitely did some of that like <laughs> you know when i'm first like cutting your teeth trying to yeah. do like some performancey stuff and then it's like but really i mean i can i'll be the first to admit it that's like from a total space of fear mm -hmm. and just being like well if i'm already not funny i'm not failing yeah or something and then i think i've kind of toned down even trying to do um, straight stand-up performances because I just realized that like, oh, I'm like better at other stuff. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's hard. I don't, I think also doing it in art context is like just a little more forgiving place. Sometimes though, right? <laughs> Sometimes. I feel, like it, I feel like it can be hit or miss. It can be hit or miss for sure. Because I organized something a little while ago that was at an event and I thought like, um, I thought, oh, this place is like, I've been here a bunch of times. It's going to be super chill. People will be mm -hmm. into this kind of thing. And I'll take some of the response. But I was like hosting and I think I was being a little sassy at the beginning and mm -hmm. I read everybody wrong. And mm -hmm. I thought it was going to be kind of like, that would be a responsive environment to that. Yeah. And then people weren't really into the 
uh, people that I think are brilliantly funny mm-hmm. that I had organized to do the thing. And I was just kind of like, oh, God, that sucks. Because I had, <laughs> I generally have the same kind of perception. I'm like, oh, it's really low-hanging fruit if yeah. you have like a gallery crowd. Because they're just like, like I said earlier, it's easy to surprise them by being entertaining. Yeah. But oftentimes they're so happy that somebody's not just, you know, rubbing against the wall or something for x mm-hmm. amount of time They're like oh my god there's a one-to-one relationship between what you're saying and what i'm receiving and now i can laugh but yeah i feel like sometimes they can be sometimes artist audiences are like total assholes no that's true too <laughs> i mean especially i found which i don't think i'm gonna do anymore like transitioning from an opening to a show is a really hard thing because people just want to keep talking and drinking mm. and stuff and like so that can be difficult to turn into like an attentive crowd or something. Yeah, I think too that makes sense too with the kind of um, trying to program stand up into an environment where people aren't um, necessarily there for it. It's it's which is a different thing than saying here's a night of performance art. Oh my god, one of these people is really funny. Mm-hmm. That's one thing. Yeah. But, but yeah, when people have already kind of set a social tone of like a, a vibe where they're hanging out and then you try to kind of not even ambush them, but even if something was scheduled, if it's already if the tone is already this or that, it can yeah. be really hard to pivot everybody and mm-hmm. get them to a space where it's like, because I feel like every time that I've participated in something like that or organized something like that, I felt like, um, you know, when you're in a band and you're begging everybody to come towards the stage a little yeah. bit because there's a big empty <laughs> space where you're like asking people to be quiet and it's like kind of... Mm-hmm. And at the same time, you're kind of trying to be funny about it. So you got to be, <coughs> you got to be like a little, a little sassy, but then you go too far or, yeah. or you sound desperate. Or mm-hmm. <laughs> I know. I did a show this summer where I like was, I mean, it was just really hot too. And it was at a gallery and it was like, I felt like it was also just hard to hear. Like people said they were into it after, but on stage it felt like no one was laughing at all, kind of. Hmm. Well, <laughs> I, I went to that, but I had to bounce before the performances. Mm-hmm. But I did want to talk about that because you organized an exhibition proper too. And mm-hmm. that was, you're talking about like a, a programming element that was part of the opening night. But, yeah. So the show is at Safe Gallery and uh-huh. it was called Cosmic Joke. Mm-hmm. And you are the third cosmic joker who's a friend of the pod now. Oh. I've had Andrew Ross, Sarah Greenberg Rafferty, mm-hmm. now you. Um, so, you know, wonderful lineup of people. But um, I know that you've kind of done some curatorial stuff um, throughout your time as an artist and things like that. And how did Cosmic Joke come about? Because I feel like Safe Gallery, their thing for a really long time was it's like two person shows, right? Yeah. It's like this artist and this artist and we put them together and like what happens in the conversation and this was like a much more maybe it's like just the summer vibe, right? But well, I think it was the only group show they've done except for this other kind of short term thing that Melissa Brown organized, which I also performed in called Casino Cabaret. But I had just been talking to Polly and we were talking about doing something and that seemed like it kind of like encompass the like funny whole crowd of artists plus some others that i felt like have a relationship to comedy in some way some prop comedians yeah sculptors (laughs) exactly (laughs) but also it wasn't like the funniest show in the world either like i didn't want it to just be like funny art but maybe kind of existential art or something too that had but we built like a a TV set stage. Yeah, so down that, in the yeah. lower level of safe. So well, that, not lower, the, there's like a, it's like yeah. two feet lower. But <laughs> yeah, that space is really fun too. I was stoked to see that show in there because it's, um, 
is it Pally? Is that how you say? Polly. Polly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, she's wonderful. I've gotten yeah, to talk to her great. a couple times and she, um, I wrote about, uh, Andy Cahill's show that was there. Mm-hmm. That was, she's like, it's insane. Yeah. Um, but that was a, that was a cool space to have that show because Safe Gallery has such a vibe that mm-hmm. other spaces don't. Yeah. Um, it was I, like an architectural firm or something, I feel like, or, or and it has a, literally a giant safe yeah, in it. Yeah, I know about, yeah, it had something that had a safe. <laughs> <laughs> it's a cool spot. Um, mm-hmm. Were these people that you had existing relationships with or were they kind of like you're making a dream team in your head and you're like, I'm going to reach out to these randos and see if they want to be in the show? <laughs> no, they're pretty much... They're, no, they're 100% all people who are, like, friends and whose work I already knew and admired. And, like, I think everybody except Sarah had some relationship with the funny hole also. Like, okay. Jacques, Louis Vidal has performed there. Andrew Ross had performed there once. Andrew Ross performed at it? Yeah. Really? Yeah. I'm curious what Andrew Ross did. <laughs> he did stand-up. No shit? Yeah. Oh, my God. I've known him for a long time. <laughs> it's, well, I did not know that he did that. Yeah. I mean, he has an interest in... I mean, he's super busy, but he, I think, is interested in doing more performance or comedy even. But it was also... The Funny Hole was a place where I would invite people who I thought would be into trying on that format. Yeah. Or I knew... I mean, Andrew was actually kind of an outlier in that I had never seen him perform before, but he expressed interest in doing it. So I was like, sure. He seems to be able to pick up things and be pretty good at them. I feel like yeah. he's kind of a natural. Yeah, stuff. yeah. I, mean, I saw him in a play at the Whitney, too, which maybe he talked about on the podcast. Oh, he did, yeah, because that's what his show, Iceman Returns. Yeah, yeah he was which talking. he seemed very, he just seemed really chill, and it was cool. <laughs> he's very chill. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's really cool. So Cosmic Joke. Mm-hmm. Um, what is Cosmic Joke? What is a Cosmic Joke? You know, I don't know if I totally understand the phrase, but I love it. And I'm becoming a lot more new agey as I get older. Aren't we all? <laughs> so. You should see all the fucking rocks I just brought back from the Southwest. Oh, I really? Am. Oh, yeah. I'm getting. <laughs> I've got some crystals now at home. Do you? I yeah. have. Uh, my friend Daniel Glendening makes these. I wear them when I fly a lot. They're these. Uh, uh, obsidian wards. Mm. I have obsidian and quartz on them. And. <laughs> I like to wear them and know that I feel a little bit safer and everyone that I encounter thinks I'm a total Yahoo. Mm-hmm. I kind of like that contrast. I feel better about myself while simultaneously being like everyone is judging me. But yeah. I don't really care. <laughs> I'm into it. So the cosmic joke is about I, existentialism? What is like, Well, I used this um, Carol Burnett. I guess I didn't realize it was Carol Burnett until I was organizing the show, but um, that the comedy plus tragedy comedy no tragedy plus time equals comedy yeah yeah so like the idea that comedy kind of is a transformative thing but i think also cosmic joke is kind of like like this idea that everything we're searching for is already inside us and stuff and just like that life is kind of absurd and stuff Mm -hmm. like that very camus yeah (laughs) (laughs) well i'm into like eckhart tolle and stuff and i don't know I kind of feel like, yeah, I took it when I first read it as like the cosmic joke is just like being. Yeah. Like the nothingness of yeah. of being mm-hmm. in this kind of, uh, and also in a way I liked its relationship to uh, art as as this thing that we do and we put all this stock in, we spend all this time and we love and we care for and we get together and we talk about and at the end of the day it's like culture at large is just like, what are you fucking weirdos doing over there? Yeah. Like nobody cares. <laughs> There's yeah, no yeah. money for this. <laughs> 
I mean, that but means- I wouldn't have it any other way. I mean, I wouldn't want to hang out with other people. Yeah. It's like the funnest group of people mm-hmm. are the people who are in on almost like in on the cosmic joke or something. Yeah, totally. Like we already know we're going to be poor forever. I'm not buying a house, you know, <laughs> like, so let's have a good time. <laughs> um, I still hope to buy a house one day, but I would love to. Don't get me wrong. <clears throat> but, I'm, I'm saying that I'm sort of like no, setting, no. setting myself up for disappointment so mm-hmm. that I could be pleasant. No, yeah. not, not setting myself up for disappointment, mm-hmm. setting up the possibility that I could be pleasantly surprised by yeah. one day being a property owner, becoming increasingly libertarian and then, yeah, I don't know, getting a gun. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's I'm from Michigan. That's like the I will have to go full circle, uh-huh. buy property get guns that will be where i end up being and then my children will hate me i um i had a brief time like actually during september 11th where i moved to new mexico i like sold all my stuff and like bought a van with my boyfriend at the time i moved to new mexico and like lived in an adobe house and stuff where in new mexico um it was in between taos and santa fe cool yeah i love new mexico yeah i was but just I, there i was like newly graduating from school i love it too and i was like i feel like i was like looking up like those kind of people who where they there's like christian people where they like build their own house out of mud or something and like get so they have like the lowest overhead necessary and stuff like that and i think i've always been a little bit fascinated with that yeah do you like the desert i love the desert yeah it's pretty fantastic right Mm -hmm. i lived there for a long time but i lived in phoenix which is kind of like a shitty facsimile of the desert Mm -hmm. and now i go back to arizona uh, periodically and i have an appreciation for it that i don't think i had when i lived there Mm -hmm. just something about how wonderful and otherworldly it is and i just got to do like Colorado, Utah, New Mexico, and Arizona, like Mm. all the four states around there at the same time on a road trip, and it was just magical. That sounds awesome. Yeah, I don't even know if I tweeted during it. It was just, (laughs) it was lovely. Wow. Yeah, I had a different experience. Um, Well, what prompted you to, so you're working with these people, what prompted you to want to put together um, like a formal show? I know that you've done Spring Break a couple times, Mm -hmm. you've curated some stuff there, and then did you do something at Orgy Park? a couple years ago too Mm -hmm. so it's like kind of part of your practice right yeah i would say i've been doing it like once a year ish and i did it kind of um i think it's just a fun and kind of other side of the coin way to think about some of the things i think about in my own work and to like have nice conversations with other artists and is stuff. it is it seeing is some of it seeing other people's stuff that's kind of like oh that work kind of gets yeah at the at the answer to the quandary that i'm grappling with and i'll never get to it so like oh i want to put that next to this thing yeah totally deal. i think yeah seeing other people who have like threads of thought that i see some relationship to mine and but yeah in a different way or i just really admire them and i feel like usually i like to show people who i don't feel are getting enough attention and i want them to get more kind of it's a little bit like giving back or something to you. Do you uh, think that as coming to uh, curatorial work as an artist, do you think that you have a different um, relationship with the people that you work with than maybe like a traditional curator? Yeah, I would say so. Like for me, it's like not super. I mean, nothing I do is really super academic, even though I teach college or whatever. But um, yeah, I would say it's just about like having 
a, a conversation in in all way like having actually a logistical like studio visit conversation but then also having conversation between the work and like finding connections in a group of people yeah and sometimes it's just wanting to see something that you haven't seen yet yeah and so might as well like pull up the bootstraps and organize it right mm-hmm. yeah i feel like that's a good approach to curating <clears throat> um is there a hierarchy in what you're doing right now in terms of like studio art making performance comedy curatorial do they kind of shift roles in terms of what's the most important to you or do you just kind of not even think about it and it's just like whatever is on my plate this week is on my plate um i think about it i think because i am trying not to overextend myself and stuff and i would say curatorial is kind of the bottom rung just because I'm often like, why did I do this a little <coughs> bit after? Because <laughs> it's a lot of work and yeah. unpaid. But <laughs> it's also nice. I mean, it's gratifying and stuff as well. But um, I would say studio art is probably at the top right now. And performance is maybe in the middle. I like, I mean, I love performing, but I... I don't really seek it out. Like if someone asks me is generally when I'll do it at this point. And I'm always trying to get better. But um, I feel like it's like a lot of mental energy. Mm-hmm. Although I'm trying to like, I mean, I think I've been getting less scared and nervous as I do it. And like that has been good. But in a way... I feel like I started performing because it scared me and I wanted to like deal with that. And and I think it's always like before it happens, I'm like, why did I do this? Like, <laughs> I'm like, Ugh, like, why? And then I do it and it's like a real high and I love it. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, I got to do this more. And- did you get performance blackout? <laughs> a little, yeah. yeah. I have a pretty, <laughs> I'm pretty like. Something ends and then I'm just kind of like, what happened? Did I just do? Or I mean, you're kind of present in it, but it's that weird. I've tried to like explain this before, but I feel that you're operating at a different, like right now we're talking. And so Mm -hmm. naturally I'm thinking, you know, like a a couple milliseconds ahead of whatever's coming out of my mouth as I'm formulating this thing. But there's this extra distance when you're in front of a group of people and you're doing it Mm -hmm. where you're also zoomed out like an out-of-body experience watching yourself do this thing and Mm -hmm. trying to be you know as you get more comfortable with performance you're also like not only is your brain doing this stuff to make the words come out or whatever but you also begin to have a different understanding of the lines that your body draws or the way that you kind of stand and things like that Mm -hmm. and so you're like kind of critiquing the architecture of what you're doing the entire time that you're doing it and then there's no space to really be present almost yeah which is like kind of sucks but (laughs) (laughs) i I think if you do i bet if you do something that um is very repetitive it's much more easier uh, much easier rather to be in the moment like if you have your five minutes or something of Mm -hmm. stand-up that you do regularly it's like really easy to kind of read off the crowd or if you're touring a show yeah you can you know and you're doing the same show every night you probably get into a much different vibe but i feel like um you do a lot of different stuff primarily. Yeah, but I have been starting to, like, I mean, it's totally a real comedian thing to, like, rework your material. And as one should, because you can't, you're not going to nail it the first time and you want to get it polished. So I've started to do that, but I feel like often the audience will be overlapping. So I feel like I want to give them new stuff. Yeah. 
So the most I've redone a set is like three times, but I'm starting to do that more. And I'm also, I'm actually starting to think more about improvisation as a way to be more present. I mean, I think it's still, I think in the past I used to do that more when I was doing performance and it wasn't so stand up, but it was like definitely always humorous, but but it would be less structured and it would be maybe a long, like I had this talk show thing called It's a Process for a while. And that was just like an unplanned live talk show. And it would be like irreverent and weird or whatever. But um, I don't know. I'm kind of getting intrigued by that again as a way to like be even more present. Yeah. Yeah. To go unscripted is um, it has its own set of anxieties, but it's also like pretty fun because you really do have to be i mean you're everything that you're doing is tied to the room and kind of how people are responding instead of kind of thinking about what's next in this uh in this composition that i put together it's more like what am i adding right now instead of like remembering the kind of keys that lead into the next thing or the beats that you have to hit yeah and i feel like my my aim is really like what i think if it works when I do it, what I'm really doing is finding a way to like harness who I am and like enact it. And I feel like there's a like relationship with my therapy work that like I'm in psychoanalysis and I feel like an, up until recently, I always had this like list of all this shit I need to talk about basically where it's almost like preparing my material. Mm-hmm. And now recently i've been like working off script like i feel like it's becoming more dynamic and more of a conversation between the my therapist and me and it feels more alive kind Mm -hmm. of like it feels more open and i'm like intrigued by that (laughs) um can i ask a side note question here this is for because i have I get messages from people who are in art school who listen to the podcast. And so sometimes I like to ask people like a little bit of um, like real world advice kind of thing. And I know that you've done a handful of artist residencies, Mm -hmm. um, including some very competitive ones like Mm -hmm. Skowhegan. Uh, And I'm curious what your take is on um, both the value of those and then maybe some of the kind of challenges or stuff that you wish were a little bit different or kind of how somebody would know when to pursue it because it does for a lot of people it requires like um you've got to like put your life on pause to go do something and so how do you how do you know when it's a good time to pursue that and how often do you feel is like a you know just for yourself but how often is often enough and how often would just be ridiculous and like i need to like live an actual life (laughs) yeah um I, will, I feel like Skowhegan's kind of an outlier in them because it's the most social. And so I would I felt like when I did that one, I was like just kind of like almost too old or something. Like I felt like it, if I had been much older, I wouldn't have wanted to like party as much. And like, and that feels like not necessarily partying, but the social component seems like the most important part of that one. It's a very like school atmosphere, yeah, right? Yeah, it's very school like. You have it's like, also the one that everybody lists under their education instead yeah, of under like residence. Because it is a school yeah, technically, it's a school of and it feels and like a right? school. You have a lot of studio visits and activities. Like it's not so much uh, quiet time in your studio. Yeah, 
but did you go in 2011 went in 2011 with andrew ross actually oh cool yeah who else was there um any other cool peeps <laughs> you made pals with katie lozell who's his girlfriend um like lots of people um jason musson was in it oh, yeah, yeah. um uh sarah hughes um sounds like a good summer yeah it was great my friend Meredith james who's like a video and sculptor artist I've also heard that, I mean, it's funny that you said the thing about wondering if you're kind of on the cusp of like, oh, am I a little bit <laughs> aging out of this group or something like that? The other funny thing about uh, Skowhegan is that it's like joked to be the relationship destroyer. Yeah. Like if, you, if is... you go as a, if you go in a relationship <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, without your partner, that you will not come out in a relationship. That is true. <laughs> I mean, not, it wasn't for me, I, but I broke up with my boyfriend like right after. And I was like, why don't we have this conversation before? I <laughs> <laughs> but I saw it happen. And I think it's maybe even a self-fulfilling prophecy yeah, that people yeah. are like ready to let loose or something. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. But on the... It's like, uh, it's like grad school <laughs> condensed into nine weeks. Yeah. Almost, right? And yeah. I feel like much closer to those people than the people I went to grad school with. Like I have few friends from actual grad school. Like a lot of people stopped making art or just went, mm-hmm. just weren't really <clears throat> had much in common aesthetically. But those people, I felt like it's like a real bonding thing because you're eating breakfast, lunch and dinner with them like yeah. for nine weeks and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Very much more immersive experience probably. Yeah. And then did you do some... Um, so that's like a, I mean, that's a very, it's also, I feel like Skowhegan's kind of like a, like a stepping stone kind of thing in like between school and like the career kind of thing for a lot of people. Yeah. Like people whose work I really like almost like, I mean, not all the time, but very frequently I look and I'm just like, oh, that makes sense. Like they did, they mm-hmm. did like a stint at Skowhegan or something. Yeah. And almost that it's like a particularly serious kind of person who pursues that because it, it's really hard to get into. It's like, you have like. 800 or a thousand applications i think yeah. per year which is like 10 times more than most mfa programs yeah which i feel like i was like didn't get into the hottest mfa programs when i was applying for that <laughs> so maybe i like and i did it after grad school it was great it was very transformative i feel like it gave me a lot of confidence that i finally got in like it took me like five times to get in yeah and i think that's pretty powerful for the course too though yeah is that people apply multiple times mm-hmm. and then there's always like some young kid that i know who's just like yeah i've never applied before and i got in and yeah I'm just like oh you must be pretty good yeah totally <laughs> andrew was one of the young he was him and and katie were the youngest people that mm-hmm. were there do you think that one that's kind of immersive like where you go off-site someplace is more valuable than one let's say if you just did like a a studio residency in the city that you live in or something like that. Not that one shouldn't pursue a free studio. Yeah. But if you're going to really put your effort towards something that's something that's more like not your day-to-day life is a more meaningful experience overall. I think maybe. Yeah. Cause I think a big part of it is, yeah, just like being outside of distraction and like being like often having people cook for you and like so you have very little responsibility (laughs) outside of just making art so like a month can you can make so much more in a month than you would if you're like got all these invitations to do other things and like all that yeah or even just have to cook dinner um so i would say it's like if you're ready to do a project would be the best time although i feel like also i'm 
There was one I, I did Yaddo. Um, they don't, like, it's really nice when they don't really, they don't, they don't ask you to do anything. Like, you could just sit in bed all month or something. Yeah. Well, they don't ask for, like, a project proposal. You know, they don't have a project. There's no open studio. They're very, like, they give you a lunchbox so you're not disturbed during the day. Which <laughs> <laughs> feels very, like, fancy and stuff. Yeah, cool. <laughs> but, um... So I didn't, that was not my most productive one, but I felt like also it's like, how often do artists or me like take a vacation for real? It's like sometimes you just need time to like recharge your batteries and read and like do that. Yeah. And I feel like if you think about it with um, like a window of time and you kind of plan and you think about a calendar and these other things like that, that it's not it's not always necessarily undoable for somebody mm-hmm. like you can you can plan ahead and think about it and treat it like something that you're kind of like not only earning because you know it's a competitive thing to get into mm-hmm. but like kind of giving yourself as like a yeah. hey you know you do all this stuff all the time like try to imagine what it would be like if you had <clears throat> four or eight weeks mm-hmm. to just work yeah. on what you want to do without having to do all these other things and um yeah you know you can probably only do one every several years or something like that really if you're yeah. working and stuff like that but i think it's like i think it's definitely a doable thing yeah totally i think the hardest things about it are just not being used to having so much time and mm-hmm. like like sometimes putting a lot of pressure on oneself that like you have to make a masterpiece in this time frame yeah and then also it can be a bit lonely too if you're in like a remote place with like your little cabin fever yeah yeah <laughs> i was at the bamp residency and you got a little cat i mean we we're up on a mountain mm-hmm. literally it was just kind of like oh my god with like the same 25 people who ended yeah up, i mean they were awesome so yeah, it was yeah. super fun but mm-hmm. yeah i feel what you're saying about thinking that you have to like create a masterpiece or something yeah. when in actuality it's <laughs> almost like the the practice of doing stuff every single day, um, trying some stuff out, maybe face planning. Some of it sucks. Some mm-hmm. of it's great. But the strategies, I think, that um, kind of stick with you for years, yeah. that that maybe, at least for me, that's what has been valuable about doing those was, I mean, granted, I was broke as shit when I got done. And like, I was yeah. like, oh, my God, did I really <laughs> just do that thing or whatever? But uh, years later, reflecting on it, it's like, oh, that was super formative. Yeah, or like totally. you said, like transformational. Like, yeah. You got from A to B way faster than you would have with like a, a day job. And you're around a bunch of weirdos who are yeah. like cool and into the same stuff. Yeah. I've made a lot of close friends at them, which has been really nice. And I I mean, I'm actually applying to some for the summer because I really want to take the summer off. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel like basically all of them that I did were before I started teaching. So I never had a job that I cared about to leave so now it's a little <laughs> you know, more just like well I got into this so far yeah <laughs> exactly <laughs> so now it's a little more tricky but summer works um okay so besides summer you've got some stuff coming up that uh we should chat about real mm-hmm. quick before we wrap this thing um so you're in a drawing show at the White Hotel that's coming up pretty soon yeah is that right so yeah. drawing is part of your how much is drawing a part of your practice? Like, I love drawing, and mm-hmm. I wish I had the discipline to do it all the time. Mm-hmm. When I do it, it's, like, one of the most rewarding things, and I'm so happy. But I just, like, I'm really jealous of people that sit down and, like, just sketch and do things. I, I don't have that in me. But is drawing a big thing for yeah, you? Yeah, I would say so. I have been doing it a lot recently. What do you draw? How do you know what to draw? That's what I, <laughs> I, always, <laughs> I always have to, like, make up an assignment because I don't have a... I have friends who just doodle. 
I don't, I can't, I don't have anything to draw. I don't doodle. I would say I'm, this is, someone said this to me at Portfolio Day, but I think it's totally true that I'm an idea person. So I, I have a lot of ideas all the time. So it's a way to like get those out. Like, and it's just like, yeah. So different things come to me. Occasionally it's from life. Less so. Usually it's from my imagination, but they're like mini paintings. Like usually they have color and stuff and I just like the directness of it. Yeah. What do you, uh, well, you don't have to tell me what you're going to show. Oh, at the, it's like a mixed bag of, I've been on this like, um, salad thing. Like a diet of salad? (laughs) I don't mean like a, like a punish yourself diet, but simply in the way of like, you've been eating that as part of your diet. Yeah. And I think daily consumption. Yeah. But also I've been painting them too. Like not from life, like just, I think what happens a lot in my work is something that is true logistically becomes an impetus for something that takes on more metaphoric or symbolic meaning. So I feel like in all ways I've been kind of striving for health and wholeness or whatever. And so the salad, I think, is a kind of, like, I think salad is very gendered and like, Hmm, you know, like, guys eat steak and girls eat salad or whatever (laughs) so i'm like self-aware of that as like a silly cliche but i'm also kind of taking it on as a subject it sounds like it's in line with sort of the the new agey and the whole thing but i think that also (laughs) comes with just like growing up and just being like like when a um like the first time that a hangover lasts two days Mm -hmm. and you're like oh i'm aging yeah my body's <laughs> definitely the cells aren't generating as quickly as, and you just have to think a little bit differently. Like yeah. I quit smoking. I quit drinking recently. Really? Congratulations! Yeah. I haven't quit that, but I stopped smoking cigarettes. That's great. I smoked for half of my life. It's yeah. I also smoked, but I quit many years ago. But it's great. Are I you think. one of? Can you have a cigarette and not go? I don't want them. Yeah, like, I, I, kind I can't of, do that. No. I I already know. I quit for six months once. Yeah. Moved to New York. Didn't smoke for a while, mm-hmm. and then I was with somebody whom I will not name, <laughs> but he wasn't supposed to smoke. Yeah, and he was like, "I really want a cigarette," and he's like, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna buy a pack of cigarettes." And I was like, "Okay." And then he was like, "Do you want one?" And I was like, "Well, I haven't had a cigarette in like almost like you know like eight months or mm-hmm. something." I was like, "I can smoke a cigarette. Like I can have one while yeah. I'm drinking or something." And I smoked it, and I was like, "Well, that was you know whatever." And then he was like, "Well, I got to go home." He's like, you take these. Mm-hmm. And he gave me the pack of cigarettes and I just immediately started smoking again. Yeah. It was like I didn't miss a beat. But I can't like socially. So I'm kind of <laughs> jealous of people that can do that. I like, yeah, I don't know. I quit. Maybe I'm not. I probably just shouldn't smoke at all. <laughs> it's bad for you. <laughs> Terrible. I know that. I mean, I'm not going to lecture anybody on it. I did it for a very long time. But it's a, <clears throat> it's a wild thing. Yeah. I've been thinking about addiction in general a lot recently. Like I kind of quit a lot of stuff. And I feel very sober right now. Mm. And I think most of my addictions were not like really like I did tons of drugs, but kind of (laughs) 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 kind of like a long time. Yeah. And also not like there's a difference between being somebody who takes a lot of drugs and someone who um, actually has like a chemical dependency on a specific drug and that it like changes. There's like, yeah, I used to take a lot of drugs. Yeah. I would like try a lot of different drugs. Yeah. And I enjoyed it. But I'm realizing, I think, that I've had a kind of an addictive personality about other stuff that I maybe just didn't realize. Like, like this is kind of an Oprah moment. But I think recently I've 
because I've come out of it that I've had like love addiction and like a serial monogamist yeah yeah I've, I've known a lot of people who are like that mm -hmm. that like a very serious relationship will end and then like the next date yeah that was is, totally me is like they're moving in two months later or something exactly like that. that's yeah. like 100 percent up until a few years ago that was basically my whole life and, <laughs> and wait, i think we talked about this before i'm like having a flashback to us like having a conversation that related to this but but no. it only recently i feel like it only very recently kind of see it for what it is as like an addiction and stuff yeah yeah well that's you know i mean that's some self-awareness that i think most of us lack i yeah. probably have some neuroses that i haven't addressed um <laughs> But you're also oh, speaking of salad. You're, oh, in, a, yeah. you're in a three-person show in Baltimore. Yeah, Balmer called <laughs> "What Is Salad?" <laughs> salad for everyone. Salad for everyone. Okay. Yeah. Um, uh, okay. What's that about? And when is that? March. That's early Mar March. Third, March third. March third at St. Charles Project. Okay. Um, that is kind of a mixed salad of you know. artists. <laughs> like I'm actually the only artist who uses salad imagery, but it's um, Philip. Hinga and Nick Erzak are the other artists. Oh, cool. Yeah. I know both of those boys from yeah, DCU. They're yeah. great. What's and the gallery that Nick works at called? I can't remember. Oh, but. Brennan and Griffin. Yes. He's mm -hmm. a very, like, Nick on an everyday I love. <laughs> and then I see Nick at his gallery and I'm just like, what a pro. He's got, like, his sport coat on and stuff. And he has his, like, beautiful long blonde yeah. hair. And I'm just like, I'd buy, I would buy something from you. Like, no question about it. Um, and Philip's great. He runs Catbox Contemporary. Yeah, and they're two lovely gentlemen. Paint scary, uh, but very funny <laughs> mm -hmm. heavy metal guys and stuff like that. Yeah, it's cool. a funny, like we're all kind of, like Nick just thought up this, the title and I was like, hell yeah, because I love <laughs> salad. But I just happened to be working <laughs> with salad. <laughs> but he's like an abstract artist and then Phil's like a goth painter. So mm -hmm. it's like this mixed bag, but... Where I and you're kind to... of like abstractly goth. Yeah. Like right in the middle. I'm in the middle. Yeah. <laughs> and salad is kind of like an abstraction also. Like mm -hmm. I think it's the closest I've ever gotten to abstraction. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's all just, I feel like I, when I construct a salad, mm -hmm. uh, taste is obviously a huge part of it when I'm mm -hmm. thinking about the salad, but I'm also very much visually thinking about yeah. what it's going to look like more so than almost any other food. Yeah, totally. I'm just like, well, this will add some color. This mm -hmm. will add this. This will add this <laughs> thing. And I think much more, uh, I guess, like compositionally, like texturally, everything about it, as opposed to like, uh, I don't know if I'm like cooking a tuna steak. Mm -hmm. I'm just like, well, that's going to look the same every time. I know exactly yeah. how I'm going to do it, but a salad, I'm sort of like, what if I put this on it? Yeah. <laughs> that would make it orange. <laughs> That's fun. I like that. I'm going to start thinking about salads like paintings now. Yeah. Um, and what is it? St. Charles Project? Is that the name of the space? Yeah. What, what is that? It's um run by this guy, Dominic. And it's like in a, it's also in an architectural firm, but it's like a one room show place. I have not visited yet, but recently did a um studio visit with him and he's very lovely. Cool. Is he a Baltimore person or Yeah, well he teaches there. I'm not I feels like he's been there for a while, but I'm not sure if he grew up there or not. Cool. Yeah. There's so many cool people doing amazing things there. Mm -hmm. I got to go to this thing called the Baltimore Artists Retreat like mm -hmm. two summers ago that the contemporary put on. They're kind of like mm -hmm. a non collecting museum, like mm -hmm. a a program that doesn't have an actual museum. Um, but yeah, they put this awesome thing together. It was at this like, um, Jewish retreat center outside of Baltimore on this like idyllic farmland. Mm -hmm. And they 
made like a scholarship fund and I think it was 80 artists from oh. Baltimore who applied were accepted to it <clears throat> and got to go out there for this long weekend for free all the meals were covered and stuff and it was almost like a um it, this sounds terrible but it was a mixture between like an artist residency and like a not like a job fair but like a professional getaway or something but actually super fun and everybody gave a talk on their work mm -hmm. over the course of the thing so i was introduced to so many killer artists and spaces and weird things like that and i'd been to baltimore a bunch but mm -hmm. it was so cool because now anytime that i go down for something i'll like go to an opening just be like oh my god and like it's all the people it's really <laughs> fun so cool. yeah and they're really just like doing the damn thing it's yeah. impressive i'm excited to go down there because i have very little knowledge outside of the wire about it <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'm sure they will appreciate you gaining different knowledge than just that but no also i want to go to the outsider art museum which i'm a big fan of oh cool yeah that'll be fun mm -hmm. and um uh, last thing, you have a two-person show in April with Alicia Gibson. Yeah. Shadow boxing, is yeah. that correct? And that is at Lane Meyer Projects, which I, I looked that up. I hadn't heard of it. Is that in Denver? Yeah, it's in Denver. Okay. Which I also have not really oh. spent much time in. I was just in Denver. Yeah. My sisters live there. <laughs> is have you? Did you go to any galleries or? I've been to a bunch of stuff in Denver. My friend um, Adam Gildar runs Gildar Gallery, mm -hmm. which is really cool. Um, and then there's this. Uh, organization that kind of is not dissimilar to the contemporary called Black Cube Nomadic Museum that mm -hmm. puts on interesting stuff. There's this place called Redline that has a bunch of artist studios and things. And then, oh my gosh, I'm going <clears> to <throat> embarrass myself here that I can't remember the name of this space. But we spent one day when I was there um, last time. I went, I went, I mean, I go frequently because my sister's over there, but I went to go to this thing called DIY MFA that was about like artist run schools um, and like the uh, like Soma from Mexico City was there mm. um, and uh, some other people. But it was very, very fun. And we got to spend a whole day at all these artist studios in Denver. And they cool. had this just cool ass building that a bunch of them had spaces in. And it was very communal mm -hmm. and kind of neat. And they set up all these studio visits and then. Uh, I just saw on Instagram that they were continuing, I don't know if it's a tradition that we started, but it was something that we made up this thing called um, office Happy Office Hours, mm -hmm. and it was at this bar called Sputnik, and so it was like every day that we were there from four to six, we'd be there for happy hour, but it was like office hours of like all the visiting artists, mm -hmm. and we would just hang, and people just came and hung out, and we'd just talk shop, but it was just kind of like intentional conversations, That's but everybody there was like really down to do that kind of stuff, and it was fun, because I think in New York, you get so tied up with how much shit is going on, or like, oh God, I have to do this, do that, that the convo stuff kind of falls by the wayside, which is yeah. you know, the rewarding aspect of doing all this stuff. Totally. I feel like that happens at residencies too, where <clears throat> I feel like sometimes you can get back to talking about meaning again, more than just like career or something. Yeah, yeah. Which is nice. <laughs> I'll have to, um, I'll get in touch with some of the Denver people so that you can connect with them. There's so many cool artists there. It's yeah, really... I would love that because I don't know really anyone there yeah it's really like a happening city and people are making cool ass shit and mm -hmm. it like not that i didn't think i mean it's a giant city i didn't think that there wouldn't be but it was just really interesting how much kind of stuff people were doing despite you know it like a lot of other cities is um you know rents jumping like crazy and all this stuff and really interesting conversations about the uh relationship between big weed and displacement of artists Whoa. which kind of um the irony of that is not lost on me mm -hmm. about, um, you know, 
primarily white artist community being displaced by like the legalization of marijuana yeah but it's like where do artists get their studios they get warehouses on like the outskirts of town that like nobody wants to be in and all these things like that and it's like well where do marijuana growers want to grow marijuana and they show up with cash in hand to buy giant buildings oh and things. God. So it was like this kind of funny thing where they were just like, yeah, weed legalization is fine, I guess. Like, I'm going to lose my studio building because of it. But I was just like, oh, my God, what a weird, what a twist. Yeah. It's like a Black Mirror episode. <laughs> what if you legalized weed and then nobody could make art? Maybe they'll hire the artist to, like, make a mural in their, like, new <laughs> <make> office. Yeah. <laughs> and probably underpay them significantly. Yeah. But mm-hmm. um, cool. Well, that's exciting. Exciting. And then you are going to be at the Jennifer Vanilla Show yeah. Tuesday, yeah. the 6th? The 6th. Tuesday the 6th at the Windjammer, yes, right? that's right. Yeah. Yes. Cool. And Jennifer was a recent guest, friend of the pod. So many overlapping satellites here. But um, So folks should go to that. It's, uh, it's usually like five bucks or something, right? It's pretty cheap. Yeah. I didn't even pay it again in last time. Whoa. <laughs> well. I didn't. And the, no one asked me, but. It was fine. You're going to bust. You're going to get the door guy in trouble. Um, but uh, yeah, so folks go out to that. Highly recommend the Jennifer Vanilla Hour uh, or Jennifer Vanilla Live at the Bar. I yeah. guess the documentation is called the Jennifer Vanilla Hour. But <laughs> JV Lab, Windjammer, Ridgewood. Uh, you're going to be at it. Who else? Anybody? I don't know the other acts, but that's I'm okay. Really I'll put it in the episode excited. description. Yeah. Yeah. Um, cool. Well, uh, Jennifer, thank you so much for coming by Human <laughs> the Abject. It was wonderful to talk to you. Yes. Uh, To everybody else, we'll see you next week. Bye.